0: Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? A little more tired? It's a good day. It's been a long day for some of us. If you're new with us this morning, we just had our first congregational meeting like 30 minutes ago. And it was a lot of fun. We celebrated three big wins as a church, moving from Bible study in my living room to being here. Um, It's just been really sweet. We've been having services here for a year and a half. Um, we have baptized people, we've gone from zero to 81 members, um, we asked big questions about the future, and we discussed, of course, everybody's favorite subject, which is budget. Yay! Let's see. Romans. Back in Romans today. You guys ready? Okay, so we are starting chapter four of Romans today. It is all in Romans. We're turning over a new leaf. The first three chapters of Romans are focused on what? Sin. Unrighteousness. Problems. We got problems. The problems are sin. What is wrong with the world? We are. We're what's wrong with the world. Romans 1-3. to What's wrong with the world? Sin. Unrighteousness. That's us. That's our hearts. That's all we've been focused on in Romans 1-3. through We are starting chapter 4 today. And Romans 4 and 5 unpack how we can be forgiven, how we can be counted righteous in Christ. Since we don't have any righteousness of our own, right? We don't have any goodness of our own to bring to God. Then Romans 6 and 7 are going to talk about how we can become righteous, how we can live a transformed life in the midst of an evil age. Okay, but it all starts with being reconciled to God, with being forgiven, with being brought into God's family. Is this something we can earn? Nope. Nope. If we could, if we could uh, somehow produce enough good works, would it outweigh the bad in our lives? Now, if we're going to be forgiven and counted righteous before God, it has to come as a gift, not by works. We need somebody else to pay the penalty of our sin. We need someone else to gift us a righteousness that's not our own. And that someone did, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. He is the eternal Son of God. He's our King. He is who we're here to worship this morning. Now, last time we were in Romans, we learned three big words about this. The first word was, we learned them. And the first word was justification. Justification. A one-time act of God where he counts us righteous. We receive it by faith as a gift. And that's because of the second word we learned, which is, Redemption, because of the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, where he bought us from slavery to sin, death, and the devil, having died on the cross as our third word, propitiation. As an atoning sacrifice on our behalf, bearing God's wrath for us. Okay, It's all a gift uh, we receive by faith. That's where we're at this morning. The Apostle Paul is concerned that we nail it down and we really understand deep in our bones that all of salvation is by faith. Okay, So that's where we are. Always has been, always will be. Let's pray. We'll jump into this week's passage. Father, your grace to us is overwhelming. We consider all that you've done here, and we're amazed, and we thank you for everyone here this morning. We know that you brought us together to build your kingdom, and we pray that this morning you would help us to understand your word, that you'd help us to embrace it with our whole hearts by faith, that you'd help us to walk in obedience to it by the power of your Holy Spirit. Pray, Father, that you'd be with those of us who are sick or unable to be here. We have many families who have uh, been suffering under sickness as it's worked through uh, their homes and families that are out of town traveling. Pray that you'd be near to them wherever they are, that they would be worshiping you in spirit and in truth this morning. And we pray that they may be healed and restored to us quickly. We also pray that you would shepherd us all through a season of sickness and flu, especially as we approach the holidays. that you give us patience and grace and love for one another, that you'd help us to serve one another. Thank you for everyone who has served this church already this morning, the setup team, the musicians, the guys who run the sound and the slides, for our elders, for Lucas making the trip to be with us this morning. Help us to be grateful for their love and care for us as a church body. Now, Father, as we open up your words, speak to us. We need to hear from you. We're ready to receive your word. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Romans chapter four. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. All right, first question Who in the world is Abraham and what is he doing in the middle of Romans? Good question, right? So here's the thing. There is an expectation that the Apostle Paul has for us. And that expectation is that we would know our Bibles. So we're going to talk about Abraham this morning and we're going to talk about David too because he's going to come up in uh, this week's passage because we don't want anybody left behind. Okay? Okay. I know some of us here are new to the faith, some of us are kids, and um, that's okay. We're going to paint a big back, uh, backstory this morning, but I want us to also say, hey, this is stuff that we should know, and this is stuff we should know because we read our Bibles and we study it. God gave us a book for a reason. It's important. Um, it's important to know these stories and to study them, knowing the Bible well, or uh, as well as he did, is a big part of what made the Apostle Paul who he was. And so it's important for us to, too. Um, There's another reason I want us to look closely at the lives of Abraham and David this morning, which is a big part of today's sermon, and that's because for those of us who have grown up in the church, uh, we've heard a lot maybe about faith and grace. But I'm worried that we've heard a lot about a cheap kind of grace that requires a cheap kind of faith. And not the kind of grace and faith we see in Scripture. So, I don't know, maybe if we read our Bibles a bit more and saw what faith looked like in the lives of people like Abraham and David, it would change the story. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. Faith is simple, but it's costly. God's grace and mercy come to us freely, and that's a large part of the point of today's passage. But it's important for us to understand that while it comes to us freely, faith is costly. It's important to get the order right too. We believe God. God credits that faith to us as righteousness. We receive forgiveness. And then that faith, if it's real faith, produces a response, real fruit, real change, good works. That's the way faith works. We always act out of what we truly believe. We act out what we believe at the deepest levels of our souls. If you want to know what someone really believes if you want to know what they really love, if you want to know what they really value, don't just pay attention to their words, but pay attention to the fruit of their lives, right? Someone who really believes God, who really trusts God, who really has faith will have a transformed life and it will be seen in their fruit. It'll be seen in good works. Now, those good works are not things we do to make God happy with us, to, to get God's favor, They're things we do because we have God's favor. He's our father in heaven. We love him. He loves us. We're his children. We live to please him. And things go sideways when we confuse faith and fruit, when we confuse faith and works. And so that's what we have to separate and focus on. Now, Abraham, when Paul wants to make a point about faith, he points to two different people. First is Abraham. So who's Abraham? Who's Abraham? Abraham. And he's pointing, this kid right here, his name is Abraham, he's pointing to himself. We're not talking about you, kid. Who's Abraham? Abraham is one of the most important people to ever walk the face of the earth. That's the truth of it. Uh, By my count, Abraham is mentioned in the Bible 280 times. He is the father of the Jewish people. He is the chosen one through whom the Messiah and the savior of the world came. He's also the father of Ishmael. And that means he is claimed by Jews, Muslims, and Christians as the founding father of our faith. All three claim Abraham as their founding father. And he has kind of one of the greatest VBS songs of all time. Right? Can somebody sing it? I can't sing it. All right, that's another. Right. Good job. All right, so he's a big deal. He's a big deal. So who was he again exactly? Well, originally his name was Abram, not Abraham. And he was just some guy who lived in a place called Haran. He had a wife named Sarai who was beautiful but barren. She couldn't have kids. And we don't know much else about them except that Abram's family didn't worship God. They worshiped idols. They worshiped false gods. That much we know. Somewhere around Babylon was this dude named Abram who was an idolater from a family of idolaters, just pagans, Gentiles. That's what we know. One day God came to Abram, and this is what he said. It says in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, God came to this man named Abram, who apparently didn't know anything about God. God comes to him and says, listen, I'm God. Get up. Go. Leave everything behind. Leave your family. Leave your father. Leave your brother. Leave it all behind. Go to the land I'm going to tell you about later. Who are you? I'm God. Where am I going? Tell you when you get there. What are you going to do? Tell you later. You'll find out. He just gives a promise. I will bless you and I will turn you into a great nation. That's it. So verse 4 says this. Abram went out as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Lot was his nephew. Abram was 75 years old. When he departed from Haran. Okay, now think about that. Anybody in the neighborhood of 75? Eh, A couple people. God comes to you and says, Time to start over. Time to leave everybody. Time to start over. By the way, you're about to have some kids. It's crazy. It's nuts, right? And what does Abram do? He just gets up and goes, he just goes. How many of y'all would just, you know, 75 get up and go? Start over? It's outrageous. Abram believed God. He got up and he obeyed. He left his father, his brother, everything he'd ever known, his family, his people, his inheritance, whatever. We don't even know what all he left behind, but he left it. It's faith. So Abram starts journeying. He doesn't know where he's going. He just trusts God that God's going to show it to him. When he gets to a place called Canaan, Canaan, God says, all right, this is it. This is the land I'm going to give to your offspring. There's a problem. There are a couple problems. One is it's full of Canaanites. So here it is. Here's the land that you're going to have. I'm going to give it to your children. It's full of people who hate me. So just kind of like chill, sojourn, travel around, just kind of like stay in the area round about here until your kids can take the land. But that presents a second problem, which is that he didn't have any kids. He didn't have any kids and his wife wasn't able to have kids. And by this point, oh no, I skipped ahead. All right. All right, so he's sojourning, and there it is, and okay, no kids. Long story short, Abram keeps trusting God. Eventually, he gets up the nerve to ask, okay, you've made promises. How can all these things be since I don't have any kids, right? And God says, no, I'm going to give you a son. And God goes on to promise Abram that his children will be more numerous than the stars of the heavens. And that's where this passage comes from where it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 6. Okay? But at this point, it's been 10 years since he left his family. So he's now 85, 86 years old. And Sarai's about 10 years younger than him. Okay, so she's in her mid-70s. So Sarai's like, okay, well... um, I guess God's prevented me from having kids and you know, I'm like, I'm 75 years old. like, So maybe, maybe we need to like figure out some other kind of plan here. And this is everybody's favorite thing that Abram does, right? And everybody's favorite thing that Sarah does. Sarah's like, okay, well, I've got a maid. And Abraham's like, okay. And so Abraham goes to bed with the maid named Hagar and she has a son. And that didn't produce any conflict or drama whatsoever. <laughs> All kinds of drama and conflict that still goes on to this day. The Children of Ishmael and the children of Isaac at war. That's what's going on in the Middle East and a lot more than that. But anyhow, All right, fast forward to Genesis 17. Abram is now 99 years old. Sarah, Sarai, is 90. It's been almost 25 years since God first appeared to Abram. Almost 25 years. God comes to him again. God says, okay, time's coming near. You've got a new name. Your name's not Abram anymore. It's Abraham, which means exalted father. Or, sorry, no, Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. Tweaks the name Father of a multitude. He says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant with you and to your children. It will be an everlasting covenant. I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. It's going to be yours and your children's. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. Your wife, Sarai, is now Sarah. That means princess. I'm going to bless her. I'm going to give you a son by her. And at 99 years old, after 25 years of promise and faith and waiting, 25 years of obedience and sin and repentance, because a lot of things happen, right, in that time, Abraham receives the sign of circumcision. God commands him to circumcise himself and all the men of his house, and he does at 99 years old. Okay. Okay. guys, 99 years old, after 25 years, he receives a sign of circumcision. And Abraham does it, and he circumcises everybody in the house, servants, everybody. Ishmael, who's like 13 or something at the time, everybody. And God visits Sarah, and she conceives, and God finally gives her a son, and they call his name Isaac, just as God commands them. And he's a joy to them in their old age. It's a miracle. He grows strong. Abraham loves him. He's the child of promise. Abraham had wanted this son. It was passed up at 75. God promised a son. He waits 25 years. He gets his son, and I want to keep repeating that because we have to think about Abraham and his patience when we think about his faith. And then came Abraham's greatest test. He's now well over 100 years old. And God comes to Abraham and says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah, offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Got your son, you've got your promise. You waited 25 years. You've had him for a while now. He's strong enough to carry the wood for the offering on his back. Take him up and... Sacrifice him to me. Okay, dads. Where at this point in the story do you draw the line? Here God is, after years of hijacking Abraham's life, gives him a son. And Now he tells him to sacrifice him. It made no sense. Isaac was the promised one. He was the one who was going to fulfill everything. The salvation of the world was supposed to come through his line. And yet they went and Abraham obeyed. And when they got where they were going, Abraham raised his hand to kill his son. This is the only time anything like this has ever happened. It's the only time it will ever happen. It was a picture of what God the Father himself would go through on our behalf. He made the father of our faith walk through it so that he would know it deeply and he would teach it to his children. So Abraham took the wood, he put it on Isaac's back, made him carry it himself, just like Jesus carried his own cross. Isaac obeyed him just as Jesus obeyed the father. Abraham raised his hand to kill his only son, just as God the father struck his only begotten son when he hung upon the cross. Hebrews tells us that Abraham, Abraham's faith was so strong that he simply trusted that, well, I guess God means to raise him from the dead. She goes to raise his hand against his son and God stops him. That's enough, that's enough. And then God renewed his promise with Abraham. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. All right, not long after this, Abraham dies. He never gets to settle down in the land of promise. Aside from Isaac, he never gets to see any of God's promises fulfilled. He believes in God. He lives by faith. He sets his hope in things unseen. He was a man of faith. Sometimes he stumbled. He fell in awful ways. Abraham was a sinner. There was the thing with Hagar. Not a good thing. There was also this other thing that we don't have time to go into where as he was traveling, he'd get scared because his wife was beautiful. And so he'd be like, ah, she's my sister. Go ahead and take her into your harem, Pharaoh. That happened twice. How many of you uh, ladies uh, growing growing up praying for a man of faith like Abraham (laughs) would have been happy with this? This is hard stuff, right? Right? So where does that leave us? Was it Abraham's works that saved him? Not even Abraham was saved by his works. Abraham was saved by grace as a gift through faith. Faith in God's promises, faith that salvation would come, faith in the God who saves, just like us. If it was by works, he had something to boast about. This is what Paul's talking about. But he doesn't have anything to boast about. He was just some pagan going about his life, worshiping false gods, God's. He wasn't looking for God. God went looking for him. Just like he did with each of our families at some point. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now we'll keep going. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So here's what he's saying. You can have righteousness as a gift or righteousness that you work to earn. You can trust in the one who justifies the ungodly, or you can try to present your own godliness to God. But listen to the Bible: blessed are those whose sins are covered. If you're going to go for your own righteousness, you have to deal with your own sin. And he's quoting David, and David would know. So who's David? David's a man of faith, and we think about David and his faith. What do we think of? We got something. Ian, when you think about David and his faith, what do you think of? He's a the king? There's a story, I don't know, if you, maybe you've heard it. It involves a giant, some stones. Anybody? No, nothing? <laughs> nothing? Nobody's, no, no well, let me let Well, let me explain it to you, okay? There was this kid named David. He was a shepherd boy. There was this giant named Goliath. huge. And he was defying the armies of God. And David is like, I guess I'll fight him because nobody else wanted to fight him. And everybody's like, okay, I guess we'll let you, kid. And he can't even fit into the armor. He goes down to the riverbed and he gets his, five smooth stones in his sling. And he walks out onto the field and Goliath laughs at him. And he says, yeah, you're not really fighting me. You come at me with sword and spear and I come at you in the name of the living God. And then he slings a stone and it hits Goliath in the head and he falls down. And that's the part where they usually stop when they tell it to you as a kid because what comes next is even more awesome. Do you know? With what? He walks up to Goliath. Goliath is like out, right? He's out cold or he's dazed and confused on the ground. And David just comes up, takes Goliath's own sword and lops off his head. And then they rout the armies of the Philistines. Pretty cool, right? David and Goliath. And that... Faith characterized David's life. He was a man after God's own heart. Uh, after that, he becomes a popular warrior in Saul's army. Uh, He flees into the wilderness. A whole bunch of other things happen. David ends up becoming the king. He unites Israel. He expels the Philistines. He secures the borders. He establishes a capital city in Jerusalem. He brings the Ark of God's covenant into Jerusalem. He defeats all presenting threats to the security of Israel. He is like, he's the king. He's awesome. Pretty great. End of story, right? It's not the end of the story because there are other things that you know about David. And if you don't know about David and Goliath, you know about David and Bathsheba. So what happened there? David's on the rooftop when he's supposed to be out at war and he sees a pretty young thing bathing on a rooftop and he calls her in and he gets her pregnant. And she's the wife of one of his most faithful men, one of the captains of his army David's going to have to cover it up, he sends and calls, his name's Uriah, sends and calls him, says, all right, we're going to have a plan. Here's the plan. I'm going to call him in. I want to hear from him how things are going in the field. I'll send him home. I'll get him drunk if I have to, whatever it takes, and then, you know, he'll think the baby's his, but Uriah is a good dude, and he's like, man, you could have sent for a messenger. My men are out in the field and I'm not gonna go and be with my wife while my men are out in the field facing death. It's everything David can do. So now David's got a choice, own up or come up with another solution. So he writes the note to have Uriah sent to the front lines and have the men pulled back from him, puts it in Uriah's hand and has him deliver it to the, the general And then that's what happens. That's ugly. That is bad news. That's David too. Now the difference is, God sent a prophet to David. And when David was confronted with his sin, he humbled himself. And he dealt with severe consequences. That kid died. The kingdom was taken away from him. His own son, Did awful things. So here's here's my question. Did it take more faith for David to go out into the field against Goliath or to trust that he could be forgiven and walk in God's forgiveness after what he had done and to live with that, trusting God for it? What would be easier for you? I'd rather walk out into the field and get killed. It's easier. One-time act of bold, courageous faith versus having to own up to that and face up to that and have that written down. And David was the king. He didn't have to. He could have tried to wipe it, wipe it from the record. Instead, he wrote a psalm about it and put it in the songbook of the people of God, and it's Psalm 51, and it's there, and you can read it. It's his confession of his sin. David says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That's the test of David's faith. Some of you in this room are as guilty as David. There's adultery, there's innocent blood. You know you can't come and present anything to God of your own. What you need is for David's God to wipe away your sins and you need the faith to trust God's love and forgiveness for you. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. We all have things. We all have sin that we regret. We all have things that weigh us down. Okay, moving on. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Okay, here's the point. God made his covenant with Abraham. After 25 years of faith, God gave Abraham a sign and that sign was circumcision. The sign did not create the righteousness. The sign was was a sign and seal of the righteousness he already had by faith. Then he told Abraham to give that sign to everybody in his house. And he did. But here's what's more important than the sign. It's the substance behind it. We have to understand it's not about the sign. This is what they're fighting about. Jews, Gentiles, circumcised, not circumcised. Do you have to be circumcised? Do you have to be baptized in order to? And Paul says, look, Is not about any of that. It is about faith. He believed and was counted righteous 25 years before he ever had the sign of circumcision. And this is the father of our faith. And that's so that he can be a father to us and a father to everyone who believes. You can have the sign and you can go to hell if you don't have the faith. And if you have the faith, that's everything. Should you get the sign? Yes, it's obedience. And faith obeys, but it's faith. So here's the deal with Abraham. He was the son of a pagan. He was set apart to belong to God and to start something new, to be a father. And here's what God says. Before there was ever such a thing as Jew or Gentile, pagan, Greek or Christian, there was a man named Abraham and God spoke to him and Abraham believed God and he went off to do a new thing. And that makes him the father to everyone who has faith like he has. If you grew up among God's people, you're a child of Abraham. And if you didn't, but you believe and you've become a part of God's people, guess what? You're a child of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. Abraham went off to do a new thing, and that makes him a father to everyone who has faith like Abraham had. And that means because you're Abraham's sons and daughters, you can be like him. You can be used by God to do something new in your own family line. All this history... All this, the rich history of the people of God that Abraham didn't have, is yours by faith. Because you've been adopted into the family, into God's covenant people. This is your family history. We were all, at some point or another, down the line, outside. And God brought us in. Some of us go further back than others. Some of us are relatively new, but we've all been grafted into God's family, adopted, That means God is our father, and that means Abraham is our forefather, and David is too. Sins and failures and mistakes and repentance and faith. Some of you had messed up dads, messed up moms, messed up homes. Some of you are afraid you can't break the sins of the past and the stranglehold they have on your family. It's a lie. Like Abraham, you can start new. You can come to Jesus and it doesn't matter where your mother or father came from. It doesn't matter your past or your history. You can come to Jesus and start new. You can be adopted into his family. You can have God as your perfect father in heaven. You can have Abraham as your imperfect, sinful, broken, faithful forefather in the faith. You can follow his example. You can follow his lead. Will you still have sin to struggle with? Yes. Will you still have baggage? Yes. Yes. Will you still pass some of that on to your kids? Yeah, yeah, you will. Like I said, what do you think faith looked like for Abraham and Sarah? It Had to have been really hard. Moving to a new place, sojourning, the stuff he did with Hagar and with pawning her off. Do you think he talked about taking Isaac up on that mountain with Sarah? You think their marriage is smooth or easy? Faith is hard. It's costly. There's pain and suffering. Our hope's not perfection. Our hope is not our own righteousness. If it is, we're sunk by the weight of our sin. Our hope is Jesus who raises the dead and who takes Abra- Abraham's and Sarah's and says, you're gonna belong to me. You're in my family now. I will make you a father and mother to many. What do you think Abraham knew or saw? He had so little to go on. He didn't have the Bible. He didn't have a record of promises made and promises kept. He just had God's word at 75, at 85, at 99. And here we are today. And look, did God fulfill his promise to Abraham? We have Jesus, the son of God, the savior of the world, descendants like the stars of the heavens and the sands of the seashore. And we get to look at it. And every word in this book was penned by somebody who came from Abraham. The whole of the Bible, the law of God, David, the prophets, ultimately Jesus himself. Look what God can do. For millennia, men and women have looked back on Abraham and said, that's faith. And by faith, he's my father. I come from his line. Is there still sin and tragedy and heartache? Yes, but there's redemption and glory. You may not be Abraham. You may not be David. You may not have had such high highs or such low lows, but there is grace for you in Jesus if you come by faith. So come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for giving us the example of our father Abraham in the faith, of giving us the example of the repentance of David. It's easy to look at these men and be tempted to despise them for their sin and weakness. I pray that we would humble our hearts and trust that what you've done is show us the depths of your love and mercy. Help us to come to you and embrace your son by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.